0: I invite you now to open your Bibles to Psalm 107. Uh, During the course of the summer, we're going to be uh, spending some time in the Psalms, time of reflection and application. Uh, And our hope is not only will we be able to identify with the situations and the the words that are expressed by the psalmist, uh, but that these words would also help us in our um, relationship and our communication with God. The Psalms uh, give us a a language uh, to pray. Uh, each one uh, is a different focus. Each one uh, highlights diff- different aspects, but the totality of it shapes not only our relationship, uh, but the communication aspect of our relationship with our God. Uh, this morning we're looking at Psalm 107, and I, I wanted—I've been debating as to whether to read through the whole thing or just highlight it. And I do think that I'm going to read the psalm. Uh, for those of you who are, are getting edgy, um, it'll be—we'll do a helicopter view of the passage and the message. So. Uh, But it's an act of worship, to to listen to God uh, as he speaks through his word. And so uh, let's worship our God now as we consider uh, the word that he has recorded for us here. Psalm 107. I'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so those whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert, wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For, for He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and had spurned the counsel of the Most High. So He bowed their hearts down with hard labor they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two of the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man." And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and then went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns desert pool, uh, deserts into pools of water and parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow the fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly. And he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrows, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come. We thank you for this word and pray that you, by your Spirit, would enable us not just to consider, uh, but to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is your love through the ways in which you have delivered, not only us, but your people from throughout the world, not only from circumstances, uh, but even from ourselves. And as we consider Uh, These ways, as we consider this word at this time, we pray that your spirit would speak to us individually and collectively, that we, along with your people throughout the world and all generations, would praise your name, giving thanks to you for your steadfast love. Lord, hear our prayer. Speak to us now, we pray in Christ. Amen. If someone came to you and asked you, what's your story? How would you respond? Every one of you has a story. Every one of us has a story, because everybody has a story. And stories are informative. Stories are often interesting. Sometimes they are inspiring. But stories are also always I- important. It was interesting because I, I found uh, in this article from uh, Psychology Today, uh, it's called uh, The Power of Stories, and in it, the author says this, Telling stories is the best way to teach, persuade, and even to understand ourselves. Stories are important. And so we ask the question, what is your story? The reason I ask that question is because Psalm 107 is an encouragement to to God's people to to know their stories and to to tell their stories, to, to share their stories. As we look at the outline of the way the psalmist writes, as he begins with a theological statement, something you would expect from pretty much any psalm, begins, give thanks to the Lord for the Lord is good and his love uh, endures forever. And, and so we begin with just a picture of God, remembering who God is, and, and then the fact that we're reminded that, that God loves is a, is a prompt because we might ask the question, how has God loved? Well, God loves in one way because of his delivery. The way he delivers his people, which we'll consider here in a moment. But the, the psalmist begins uh, this psalm with a theological statement, uh, an expression of worship, but then he follows it up with a command let the redeemed say so. In other words, it's not enough for us just to consider that or to know that God is good or even just to say that God is good. We're to declare. It's a command, it's an instruction for us to be able to express. Uh, that God is good and be able to share the ways in which we have come to understand that, that God is good. And then what we see is that the psalmist follows up with four distinct stories of the way God has delivered uh, people throughout uh, his history, four poetic pictures uh, of perils from which God has delivered. And as we we'll look at each of them, we can identify perhaps with uh, one or maybe more of these situations uh, as we enter into the story, as we recognize and consider our own stories as well. And in these four stories, the first one that we read about is, uh, are, the Lord says that, uh, uh, the psalmist says that some wandered in the wilderness. Uh, as you pick up verse 4, some wandered in, in the desert wastes finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. And some of you have experienced this, and certainly throughout the, the Bible, and God's people in the Old Testament, people through history, people today, perhaps they may have uh, been wandering physically in, in some wilderness. I remember a few years ago, reading of a, a young boy who got separated from his parents who got lost for several days in the Great Smoky Mountains. And so I read this passage and I begin thinking and I remember that and I I start, you know, can you imagine what he was thinking? The boy was like seven, eight years old and he's lost in the the Smokies, separated from his family, wandering, trying to both survive, to stay warm, uh, to avoid the the animals, um, not knowing if he was going to find uh, where he belonged. Now, most of us have probably not had that experience, but most of us have probably had this experience. You go into a a new city, perhaps a a large city, and you find yourself not knowing exactly where you are. For those of us who are old enough to remember pre-GPS, for those of us who may not necessarily be old, but our GPS doesn't always work and is not always helpful. You know, what do we do? How do you feel in those moments where you're just kind of wandering? How do you respond? I don't know what I would do in the Smoky Mountains but I know that when I go into these new cities I just keep on going and think sooner or later I'm going to see something but you know, I don't know why I think that because I don't know where I am in the first place. I'm in a strange city. If I was in a city that I knew when I was going to see something that I recognized, that would make sense but I just have this tendency to, to just to, to go and to wander. But it, it's a vain hope that somehow something is going to happen. Now obviously I'm here today so every time I've had that experience something has happened that has brought me delivery. And the Lord says that he does that, not only from the kind of the, the, the simple traveling through the city, but that experience, because most of us, even if we haven't had the physical experience, we have had that experience of feeling like I'm lost. I'm in this big world and I don't know where I'm going. I mean, I may know where I'm ultimately going, but I don't know where I'm going from here. I don't know how to get from here to there. And I, and I feel very lost. And, and, and we see that the Lord says that there's people that have experienced that. they cried out to the Lord, and he delivered them from their distress. He goes on and says that the second kind of people are people that were sitting in darkness. We see picking up in verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in iron. And the picture here is of those who are in prison, maybe even those who are seated uh, and, and dwelling at death row. Uh, the passage seems to indicate that in this case they're there because of the decisions they had made. They had ignored the standards of the Lord, uh, obviously not just the, the spiritual standards, but the standards that would have violated the civil code or wherever they were. They became incarcerated. Uh, they were locked up, they were in iron, behind iron bars, and they were in, in iron shackles. Uh, and they they were prisoners with no hope. And it's interesting because while they were prisoners, and you get the idea that maybe their hearts were still hard, uh, the lord uh, the, the psalmist says that the Lord um, you know bows their hearts with hard labor. And so as they are you know, think of the old the rock pile or or the other work crew, as they're laboring. Uh, and they're sweating and they're being physically broken and, and weary. Uh, the Lord actually here, we see a picture of God at work even before the people cry out. God uses the circumstances of our lives at sometimes, even when we feel that we are imprisoned, to bring us to the end of ourselves in order that we will do what they did, which is to cry out uh, to the Lord. Now, the people in this picture seem to be in a physical prison, in an actual prison, but the reality is uh, many people, many, many people, including some who are here, are in prisons of their own making, whether it is an emotional prison or it is uh, a a physical prison of of an addiction that you just don't seem to be able to shake, you don't seem to be able to escape, it doesn't lead you anywhere, but it, it holds you in bondage. And yet the Lord is at work, even in the brokenness. Bringing you to a point to cry out to the Lord, because we see in these people, they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard them, and he delivered them from their distress. We see a third category of people. Verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways, because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. I just can't help but thinking of the wisdom of Forrest Gump. Stupid is as stupid does. Because they're, they're fools. They, all sin is foolishness because the scriptures tell us that the, the wage of sin, what we earn from sin is, is death. We're alienated from God. God is the, uh, uh, we're at, at odds with God. And you're not going to win that fight. You're not going to win that battle. So any continuation and engaging in sin is, is foolishness, whether it's before somebody becomes a believer or those of us who, as we struggle or we uh, ignore patterns of sin in our own lives, it's, it's it, it all categories every one of us as, as a fool when we uh, do that. Uh, the people in this passage, it's, it's interesting, their, their foolishness, uh, not only had they rebelled against uh, the Lord and uh, they... Um, ignored uh, the ways of the Lord, uh, they're suffering from this. And it says that they loathe any kind of food Uh, and they drew near the gates of death. And I'm not really sure, commentators seem to vary, and a lot of the commentators seem to just ignore this altogether. So I'm not really sure exactly uh, of the situation. I don't think it's describing a causality necessarily, because many of us and many people ignore the Lord and they they may not feel uh, this. But it seems, at least in this situation, people, because of the the patterns of their lives, the habits that they'd gotten into, the ignoring, uh, the grace of God, and the grace of God that's expressed through the law of God, uh, had brought themselves to a Point of, of sickness, and so they were no longer able to eat, or they had no had no desire to eat. In my time in ministry, I've uh, had, I've worked in uh, with uh, people who have had a number of addictions. When I was in East Tennessee, and there was a lot of meth addiction, and uh, those who had gotten. Had, Into that you find that they just kind of waste away because uh, in their foolishness they have no hunger, no taste for anything. And and so maybe it's it's a picture of that. Maybe somebody who just has contracted some sort of a disease uh, and as a result they're not able to to keep food down. Uh, But the picture is, is, is intensity and it's a reminder to us of just how foolish it is to ignore God. And there's consequences to our ignoring God. And yet the great hope that we see in this picture is it says that these people who had ignored God, who had gotten to the point even tasting death, death was near, they cried out to the Lord. And the Lord heard their cry, and he delivered them from their distress. Their foolishness didn't disqualify them from experiencing the grace of God. And then we see the fourth category, which is perhaps the the broadest of them all, uh, we I would call it. And we see We're picking up in verse 23 through verse 32. They're people who are at wit's end. They're people who seem to be going, uh, living their lives. There, there's nothing described in the beginning of this passage that is is wrong. There's people. They went down to the sea. They went down to the boats. It's what they did for a living. Uh, they were doing their work. And people that are on the sea, they take the boats out to the sea. If you take the boats out to the sea, you know, sometimes there's storms. But in this case. The storms were so great uh, that they became afraid. And and the phrase is in here, that they were at their wit's end. They recognized that the storms that that they were facing were bigger than their abilities as mariners to be able to navigate. They were not able to just simply rely on their experience and the wisdom. They didn't have the technology, they didn't have the ships, but the, the storms that they were facing were perilous and it led them to be afraid. They were at what's in, they didn't know what to do. Now the reality is, is, while as common as that is for those who are on ships, it's also metaphorically true for every one of us as we live our lives. God who raised up the storms in this particular passage also orchestrates things in order to bring us to the end of ourselves. And every one of us has faced storms in our life, things that threaten to undo us, things that, bring us to the point where we realize, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to solve this. I don't know how to resolve this. I don't know how to get around. I don't even know how to run from this. But this storm is now not only looming, but it's entering in and it's pressing. And it may undo me. We need to recognize what the passage says. It's the Lord who raised up those storms. We back up even as he was at work uh, in those who were in prison. And he used the the work that broke them, made them bow down. These storms of life that bring us to our end actually become a matter of God's grace to us because we stop striving for our own. And we cry out to God. And we see that God in his mercy, God in his grace, hears our cries. He's delivered these people out of his mercy for them. We have four pictures here and I don't know how many of these pictures resonate with you if you see any of these as describing your life. Some of them are broad, we have all have the storms of life. Um, but they're here in, in part and, and, and they're vague in, in saying some, so that we recognize not only that this is the way God works and there's all sorts of different scenarios, Um, but so that we can enter into the story, identify ourselves in in some of these stories. And so I ask the question again is, what's your story? Because even whether you pattern here or not, these stories are just suggestive. They're not exhaustive. They're they're, They're samples of the way God works. So what's your story? Where have you been or where were you when, when God brought you to himself, brought you to the end of yourself, there are what's been going on since then? Now, I, I suspect in, in this church, anyway, some of you may be thinking, well, my story's kind of boring. I mean, it doesn't really warrant being put on a page. If that's kind of the thought going through your mind, you're, you're not alone. Well, it's not my story, but I would say it's my wife's story. We hadn't been dating for very long, and I don't remember how the conversation got started, but somehow things about childhood had come up. Might have been in preparation for my mother visiting. I was briefing her for stories that she might have heard. I don't know. Don't remember what that was. And I was never a bad kid, but I was not in Carolyn's uh, league in terms of being goodness. And so as we we're talking about that, I just decided let's uh, flip the switch here. And I said, "So what was the worst thing you ever did?" And she said, "Well, I do remember when I was like five or six. My dad said that you know as I was supposed to stay in and, and don't go into the street. And I stuck my foot out over the curb." And I said, gee, I think there's laws in some states against things like that. I mean, it's just amazing you didn't go to juvenile at that point. I mean, and so, and and the reality is those who would have known her, and if you can testify from her church and growing up, that probably is the the worst thing that she probably had done. And clearly, you know, at that point, uh, you know, 15 years later, she was still feeling guilty about that. Um, And and so, you know, I think that if that's the worst thing you do, your story is pretty boring. But here's the thing, boring is good. Boring is what we prayed for Micah this morning. May he have a boring story as God spares him from the consequences of foolishness. Boring is what we pray for all of our children. Boring is what we wish our stories were so that we didn't have the scars and the regrets and the pains that we experience and the pain of the pains that we've caused to other people, boring is good. Never underestimate the importance and boring, because one of the things that we recognize of a boring story is that God, who has been at work, has spared you and has spared the ones that He has loved from all of those pains and hardship. And so while my story is not boring, it may be more boring than some, I wish it was more boring. And I hope all of your children's stories are boring, because while some of us may be boring and some of you are more boring than others, um, boring is a demonstration of God's strength, which is awesome. And So what is your story? When we look at these stories, there's two refrains that we see that run through every one of them. The first one is, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And and the the suggestiveness of this, and the fact that it's refrained through all of them, is a reminder to every one of us that there is no one that is outside of the ability to experience the grace and the mercy of God. Some of these people in these situations were worse than others. Some of these were more common. But none of them, whether they were foolishness in the way that they rebelled and brought themselves to the point of death, or whether they're in the rebellion, uh, they even had a, had a brush of the law and they were imprisoned, or even if they were just facing the, the normal storms of life, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is, whatever your story, it's an invitation for you to cry out to God and to experience His grace, because mm-hmm. God delivers people from their distress. But the second refrain that follows in every one of these stories is this. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. In other words, it's it's important that we understand what our stories are. Because it reorients us to be willing to receive and hungering for and longing for and crying out to experience God's grace. But having experienced God's grace, we also are to respond, we're to declare, let the redeemed say that the Lord is good and and explain why. Uh, Let us thank the Lord for his faithfulness regardless of our situation, regardless of whether we had been faithful, but the Lord in his steadfast love because he works wonders for the children of man. And these words are a reminder to us as important as every one of our stories are, every testimony, every good testimony, is actually more about God than it reveals about us, because it, it highlights what God is like, and it has highlights what God has done even more than it highlights our failures and our weaknesses. And so your story is important because it reorients you toward God. It prompts you to give thanks to God, but it reminds you of who God is and what God has done specifically for you so that the grace that we read about and that we proclaim is not just this general blanket like smoke that comes out of a Canadian wildfire. It is personal. It's refreshing. It's renewing. It is empowering. Because God is doing a wondrous work in those whom he loves, in in the children of man. And and as the psalmist goes on, he explains two things. We see in, in verses 33 through 38 that God has power over nature and we see at the beginning it's this this dichotomy here that he he he's he's speaking about circumstances he turns rivers into deserts and springs of water into thirsty ground and he, and he talks about he who has power over the most powerful things that are on earth and because of our sin and, and our iniquity and because of whatever purpose God is trying to work out. He takes the things that we take for granted and that we depend upon and he can take them away. But then he turns around and says that even when he has taken them away or even when they are not present and then he takes the the desert wastelands and he makes it fruitful and often people can plant their vineyards and and they bear fruit. And and, and the picture here is God is in control of everything and he's more powerful than anything that we see on earth. And, And then he goes on and he deals with more of kind of a socio-political situation, speaking about those who are brought low, those who feel like the world is out of control, that you, you, you can't fix anything, and the power of politics and government and whatever is just oppressive and overbearing. And the psalmist says, you know, he pours contempts on the princes, and he ends up making them wander in trackless wastelands. God is more powerful than creation that He created. He is more powerful than the princes that we have created. There is nothing that can stop God from doing what God has designed to do. There is nothing that will stop God from delivering you from whatever circumstance that you feel you need to be delivered from if you cry out to him. One of the things that this story reminds me of, this psalm reminds me of, is that all of our stories are important, but our stories are important because each one is a chapter in the narrative, the story that God is writing through history. But it is God's story. And As we think about our own stories and we think about these stories, that we have an opportunity to ask ourselves, what is my tendency? Do I recognize my story is important because it's a part of demonstrating God's mercy and God's grace and God's power as one of the chapters that are on display for all of eternity? Or do I have a tendency more and more to just so focus on my own story and I, I want God to be in my story? Now. That is important and and God is involved in our stories because we see him involved here. And so as people were crying out, they were delivered. So God entered into their story, but the deliverance, what we're to declare, what we're to remember, is that we are all part of God's story. The question is whether or not we are part of God's story as a celebration of his grace or whether in the end we will be part of God's story as a demonstration of his justice. And that depends on whether you're willing to cry out to God, who is merciful, who is powerful, who is awesome. So what are we to do with these things? Let me make three suggestions. First, stop and take some time regularly to consider where you've been, where you are, where you anticipate that you are going where God has promised that you would be going. Take the time to think about that. Reflect on what God has done to intervene in your situation, whether he's brought storms to bring you to your end, whether it's through the brokenness, whether just life just seems too hard um, and, and through the labor he's caused you to bow down. But think about the circumstances that God has brought in. And if you're facing those things now, remind yourself God uses even these things in order to bring us to himself, to make us what he has designed us to be. Remind yourself how God has broken through, how he has delivered you. Because being aware of that is a point of encouragement the next time you find yourself in need. Because as you've seen, as God has been faithful in the past, it fortifies your faith to trust him in the presence. And so make it a regular practice to remember your story. Remind yourself of where you've been and what you've done and, and, and how God has been at work. And then second is, even as the whole point of the psalm is, is give thanks to God. I mean, this is a psalm that's put in the category of a, a, song, a, a psalm of thanksgiving. It was a prayer that was regularly offered, a song that was offered, of a song of thanksgiving because it celebrates the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And when we are aware of what God has been doing in our lives, we are to give thanks to him. We are to give praise to him for who he is, acknowledging for what he is, is like. We see this song as an invitation to pray because part of what this is, is we're to not only remember, but we are to say so. Who do we say so to? First and foremost, we say so to the Lord. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. We give thanks to the Lord for the faithfulness that He has demonstrated in our lives, in our circumstances. And even as it's prompting us to pray, when we give thanks to the Lord for who He is and what He has done, it's an act of worship. We remember and we respond. We're worshiping, we're honoring, we're glorifying God. And God has promised to be at work and renewing us. Even as we are reminded and as we celebrate Him, and the third thing I would just say, this is I think consistent that with the psalm is telling us to do is learn to tell your story, not just as an expression of thankfulness to God, but as a point of encouragement to the people who are around you. Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter three fifteen: Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks ask you to give reason for the hope that you have. Well, the reason for the hope that you have is because of the story that you have experienced, which enabled you to come to understand that the promises of God are true, which gives you the hope, the hope that the world is longing for, the hope that even those who have it sometimes need to be restrengthened and hearing stories of how God has been at work within one another's lives. Is in a tremendous, tremendous encouragement. There's an old Native American saying that says this: it takes a thousand voices to sing a single story. And if each of us learned to tell our stories and share them with one another, it's as if it's a song of praise to God. It was worthy to be praised. We just sometimes need some help being reminded as to why. And how much? And so we look at this psalm and we realize we all have a story. And all of our stories are important.
1: All of our stories are as a
0: voice that contributes to the song of praise to God. All of your stories are able to be used to bring encouragement to those who are in need and perhaps even uh, be a catalyst in bringing someone to faith in the first place. We only take the time to remember that God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. So let the redeemed say so. Father, bless us, even as you have. Bless us with memories of what you have done for us in the past. Bless us with the ability to have joy in seeing you and hearing how you have been at work in the lives of one another. Let us rejoice in seeing how you work through your people, through Israel, through the earliest church. Bless us to remind us to rest in you and to stand in awe of your great works. And let your people sing of your grace, of your mercy, of your glory. This I pray in the incomparable name of Christ who entered into our story, that we might become part of your story. In Christ, amen.